On this episode of AvTalk, we welcome back Steve Giordano of Jet Test and Transport to talk about his new YouTube series, Cockpit Casual, which showcases the bizarre world of test and ferry pilots. Hello and welcome to episode 123 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with Jason Urbanowitz. Hello, Ian. How are you? Hello, Jason. I'm doing very well. Happy episode 123. 123, our favorite episode number so far. All right, then. Yep. But it is going to be a very good episode. It is going yes. to be a very, very good episode. We have. Perhaps one of our favorite, not perhaps, definitely one of our favorite guests. Steve They're Giordano. all our favorite. I mean, some of them are just more favorite than others. Exactly. It's most favorite nation status, I guess. Steve Giordano from Jet Test and Transport is here to talk about his new YouTube series, Cockpit Casual, which premiered last Sunday. New episode, episode number two is coming out this weekend. If you haven't watched it yet, we're going to talk with Steve and you're going to learn exactly why you absolutely have to watch Steve's new new YouTube series. So we're going to talk with him in just a bit. But first, things are happening elsewhere in aviation. Some good, some very, very bad. And so let's start with the very, very bad, Jason. Oh, if you have flown Spirit Airlines in the last week, or if you know someone that have, or if you've been on social media or turned on the news, you've probably seen that Spirit is having one of those classic US airline meltdowns. I don't think we've seen one quite this bad since the JetBlue Valentine's Day massacre, I think back in 2008. But this one is really bad. So Spirit provided an update today, kind of a kitchen sink excuse, saying that they're dealing with overlapping operational challenges, including weather, system outages, and staffing shortages that caused widespread irregularities, which is an interesting way to say that, in our operation, and that impacted crew scheduling. What that looks like in reality is that Spirit has canceled a majority of its flights over the last few days Upwards of 60% of its flights uh, today, we're recording on August 4th, and yesterday, August 3rd, canceling at or around 60%, uh, 449 flights yesterday, and they're right up around that again today, 419 flights so far, the day is not over. That's really problematic for an airline like Spirit, who runs its fleet to the absolute edge of what is theoretically possible scheduling-wise, and there just isn't a lot of alternates for passengers. So if your flight from LaGuardia to Fort Lauderdale or Myrtle Beach gets canceled, you're probably stuck for quite a while. But they're hitting the reset button, which is something that airlines do after like a hurricane or a massive IT infrastructure failure. And they're proactively canceling flights so they can get employees in the right place. They have offered flight attendants double pay to operate flights. So hopefully in the next few days, they can start weaning off the cancellations and people can actually get where they're going. Yeah. And this is something that we've talked about in the context of other low-cost carriers. Uh, We've talked about it 
in Norwegian's case, when it actually affected you, Jason, uh, when when your flight was, I think, what, 12 hours delayed because you had a 787 that was trying to catch up over and over and over yeah, again. Yeah, it was like originally delayed 12 hours and it took them days and days and days to finally catch up. That was just one aircraft. Um, it happened a lot with Norwegian, but this is literally the entire airline, Spirit Airlines across the board is having a very bad week. Yeah, when, when you've got hundreds of pilots, flight attendants, and aircraft out of position, and you run a network where you can't really have that and still operate, it takes a long time to to get up and running again. But I guess I'm confused why they didn't do this earlier. I mean, it, this has been building for days. So I guess I'm confused why not just you know hit the reset button sooner. Or maybe they couldn't. I, I don't know. They, they definitely waited a bit too long. I mean, you provided the data that you know they had seven cancellations one day, two the next day, 11, 43, 87, 163, 397, 499. So it was definitely a slow ramp up, but then it kind of hit like a hockey stick curve and just blew through the atmosphere. And it seems like they did wait a little bit too long to hit the panic button and reset, or maybe they tried and it just didn't work. Needed a bigger button. Yeah, yeah. It needed to be redder. (laughs) Well, hopefully in the update, they said that things look like they're getting back to normal. Hopefully by the time you listen to the podcast on Friday, things are indeed back to normal. But uh, wishing them luck. In many cases, we say we will bring you updates after the NTSB begins an investigation. And we also say that it takes a while for the NTSB to do its job because they are extremely thorough and they write very good reports, but that takes a while. In this case, we have a final update on the runway overrun in Jacksonville that took place well over a year ago now. And yeah, more than two years ago, actually. Yeah, or more, was- yeah more than two years ago now. May 4th, 2019. I don't even know if we were doing the podcast at that point. I assume we were and we talked about it and we said we would provide an <laughs> we've, update. We've been doing the podcast a while. Yes, we yeah. were doing the podcast. But yes, the NTSB finally concluded its investigation into an accident involving an airline that no longer exists, Miami Air. Or if they do exist, it's in some sort of unrecognizable format at this point. This is always a weird airline. But the long of it and the short of it is basically, I'll read a paragraph in the summary. The accident report details how the flight crew did not follow procedures, including continuing an unstabilized approach, landing the airplane at an excessive approach speed, and delaying deployment of the speed brakes. However, Ian, it turns out that none of that mattered anyway, because investigators determined that if none of these errors had occurred, if it was a perfect greased landing right at the threshold, the airplane still would not have stopped on the ungrooved runway because the rainfall rates and runway characteristics contributed to water depths that caused the aircraft to hydroplane and eventually go floating around in uh, a river in Jacksonville. That's disappointing to know that even if you'd done everything right, you you still wouldn't. However, I guess that, that leads to the, did they address the issue of, of decision-making perhaps in given the weather conditions? I don't know because this report was just published a few minutes before we started reading. So I've read that one paragraph. Excellent. Well, then we'll link to it in the show notes and someone can tell us if they get to, to finish reading it before before we do. Ah, there's one more sentence. The investigation also found that Miami Air International failed to provide its flight crews with adequate guidance, guidance for evaluating braking conditions for landing on wet or contaminated runways. So they also blame the airline that no longer exists. Well, so you got to blame somebody. 
Yeah, uh, not blame. Not blame. Point out that they contributed to it. The, the NTSB does not apportion blame. That is not how it works. And again, we it, it didn't it matter anyway. We can blame whoever we want. Mm-hmm. So in what seems to be very good news for at least a small number of A380s, Lufthansa Technic today announced that British Airways has re-signed with their Manila maintenance base for maintenance and upkeep, heavy maintenance of the British Airways A380 fleet. So that is slated to run another five years, which seems to be decent news for these aircraft. No? Possibly, maybe. It's not bad news, but it might not be the good news that we originally thought. And this comes from Seth Miller at PaxX.Aero that he says, sources suggest that the contract renewal is more about remaining in compliance with leasing obligations than seeing all of the A380s return to passenger service. So it kind of seems like it might be more of a keep the airplanes from rotting to death in the desert or wherever they're being stored so they can return them to their leasing company rather than actually readying them for service. But it could very well mean they bring them back to service. We, we don't know right now. Yeah. I mean, BA has said that the A380 will come back into service at some point, in some fashion, somewhere. They haven't really Eventually. said much more than that. So hopefully, you know, as we get clarity, they'll they'll elaborate a little bit more on on how they're going to use the aircraft. As things get better, maybe, we hope, but we'll see. I guess the longer things drag on, maybe the, the chance that they come back becomes less likely, more likely. I Who knows these days? I don't know. I don't know either. We've got some Boeing news to run through, and then we will get to a conversation with Steve, which I'm very, very excited about. As it happens right now on the 4th of August, the Boeing 737-7 MAX test aircraft is on its way from Seattle to somewhere in China via Hawaii and perhaps somewhere else. First stop is Hawaii. It is on its way for certification flights. Bloomberg News was reporting that. And the aircraft is indeed on its way to points west from Seattle. So hopefully, that's some very, very good and very, very welcome news for Boeing. Yeah, that's really the most actionable or real piece of information we've had on on when or if China is ever going to recertify the MAX, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, the Boeing technical adventure team went to China last month, and I don't know if they stayed there or if they've returned and now the aircraft is going back over, but Boeing and, and FAA folk are ready to to participate in the Chinese recertification of the 737 MAX. China was the first country to ground the MAX in the wake of the second crash, and it is perhaps second-ish or third, depending on how you want to look at it, to IASA, is the most important regulator to reapprove or, or recertify the MAX. Uh, so, so hopefully, that comes soon. Okay. Progress. We'll take what we can get. In more good news for Boeing, Goal has signed on for another uh, collection of 737-8s. And then there's the, I don't want to call it bad news, but uh, another indication that the FAA's stance towards Boeing 
is changing in a big way. The FAA has asked Boeing to expand its manuals to include much more detailed emergency procedures for pilots. These are the checklists and procedures that pilots can quickly reference and and also understand as their training goes on so that they can be ready to deal with any emergency. And, And so the FAA is saying these need to be more detailed. Yeah, there's an interesting point brought up by Dominic Gates of the Seattle Times, who we source this information from. Basically, uh, you know what, I'm just going to read the paragraph. These emergency procedures had previously been detailed in other documents customized by individual airlines. So each airline would have its own manual of emergency procedures, I guess. He goes on to say, however, those airline documents are not overseen by regulators during the initial airplane certification process and may vary at airlines around the world. And that's particularly problematic in that you really, I don't think you want one airline responding to a specific emergency event differently than another emergency, would you? No, I mean, especially if there's commonality there. I mean, if there are things that certain airlines are seeing, you would like that information to be shared. And if there's certain things that that Boeing or, or Airbus or Embraer or anybody is seeing in the certification of an aircraft, let's be cognizant of that and, and put it in writing so that everyone has a good understanding of what can happen and what to do when things happen. Yep. And Boeing says that this new request from the FEA won't push back delivery of the first aircraft because it's already pushed out to late 2023 anyway, so it shouldn't matter much. Oh, great. Yes. Let's take a quick break and then come back and chat with Steve Giordano from Jet Test and Transport. He is going to fill us in on what he's been up to and what he's going to be up to with his new YouTube series, Cockpit Casual. And it's really good. Uh, But we'll be right back after this brief break and we'll talk with Steve about just how good it is. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back. We are joined once again by the man who probably has the most interesting job in all of aviation, Steve Giordano. Welcome back to AvTalk. Thanks so much for joining us once again. Thanks, Ian. Hey, Jason. Welcome back, Steve. We're really happy to have you. I think you are uh, the most popular guest on our show and, and just sheer interest and downloads of your episode. We love everyone else, but you're clearly our favorite. All right. Well, I'll, I'll be back anytime you guys want me. I'm, I'm happy the, to do it. The, we, we have to have a, like a special t-shirt or something made for fan favorite. <laughs> well, J- Jeremy's got his sandwich punch card and Steve yeah. has the honor of best episode. So there, there you go. go. All right. Well, let's try to let's try to top it this time. Right. Let's let's do it and and let's start by saying congratulations on your upcoming YouTube. I guess we can call it series that you've been developing. Sure. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> the, yeah. What could be a series? What hopefully will be a series? Because I watched the teaser, and then you were you were gracious enough to send over a preview of the the first episode, which premieres on YouTube on the first of August in the morning. I assume that's that's U.S. East Coast time. So for the folks in Europe, you can you can sit down in the evening and, and watch the premiere. 
The series is called Cockpit Casual, and and the YouTube channel uh, that Steve has put together is called Speed Tape Films, and and so we'll put a link to to all of that in the show notes so that people could just click on through and and take care of watching that. So your idea for this from what I've seen so far, is you have an insane job where you fly all the way around the world at a moment's notice and then back sometimes. And then all of a sudden you realized, hey, I could film this and hopefully people will watch. Having watched the first episode and the teaser, I can almost guarantee you people will watch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's weird how this all kind of happens. So the inside joke between Bob and I for years has always been, you know, this should be a book, this should be a movie. But the problem is once we publish it, you know, we're going to have to go into hiding. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you know, because because there's really there's always so much crazy. I mean, there's there's always crazy things happening, you know, while we're out doing this adventuring. And I mean, of course it's there's an aviation theme. Like there's an there's an there's an underarching, overarching theme of aviation because that's what we do. We get in different airplanes, you know, Boeings, Airbus, and everything else, and we fly them all around the world, up, down, north, south, east, west. And, you know, we're in and out of pretty odd, sometimes very unique and sometimes common places. I mean, we're we're all over the place and each trip is is very different. Like even when we go to the same cities or fly the same city pairs, the circumstances of the trip are always different. There's always new challenges. There's always new personalities in the mix. There's always something different. And over the years, I've done thousands of these trips, and I can almost look back and you know randomly just pick random ones out and and, and tell a story about it. So I bought a GoPro a few years ago, and I started recording stuff with a GoPro for like I guess probably about five or six years ago. But I didn't bring it regularly. I had no idea what I was filming. I just started filming stuff, and I ended up with gigabytes and gigabytes of of, of you know 4K film. And I mean, it was basically just sitting in my hard drive. I'd look at it every now and then, and I thought, you know, this would be great to share this. I mean, people seem to be interested in it, and you know, my, my experience on Twitter and, and Instagram, I have a lot of follow. People are interested in this stuff. I mean, for whatever reason, I guess, because it's just so crazy. And, uh, you know, as, as people, I did, a, did the pod with you guys and I've done a couple other pods and there've been some articles. There was a CNN article last year. People seem to be interested. And so I just, I guess I figured I'd like to deliver some and give the people what they want. <laughs> so there have been similar type shows in the past. I think the Airplane Repo show on, what was it, Nat Geo comes out in particular, but that was a production. They had a production company, camera people, audio people, support staff. This right. is just you and your team putting this together, right? Yeah, I mean, it's really, it's me. I mean, and yeah, and my team. I mean, like, you know, Ava, who's one of my pilots, who everybody knows Ava's, you know, this kind of actually was his idea <laughs> to begin with. But that's a, that's another story. You know, and Bob has the TikTok. So Bob's got like 130,000 TikTok followers. And he does these little one minute blurbs of, hey, uh, you know, hey, Captain Bob here. I'm in, uh, you know, I, I would do a great impression of Captain <laughs> Dead Bob, by the way. That's actually going to be on an episode because Ava and I uh, were doing Captain Bedbugs pretty much all the way between uh, Phoenix and Honolulu one trip. <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's fun. And and this, you know, the production value is low, <laughs> but I do my best. And, I, I and don't know about that. I, I wouldn't say it's low. 
Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, feel free to undersell it. Don't <laughs> get me wrong. I, I'm a huge fan of underpromise over deliver. Yeah. But I don't think the prediction. So I watched the teaser and and the first episode, and the feeling I walk away with is kind of like it's kind of like parts unknown, but with airplanes instead of food. Yeah. Oh, high I mean, praise. There's food in there, which, which there of course you you have to have food in there, and and we'll talk more about food in a little bit. But that's the feeling I got, and the way you've cut it together, I feel like you really captured the kind of insanity of your job. And we talked about it, you know, the last time you were on uh, this is what episode one twenty three. You were on episode ninety five last time. And so when we when we first talked, there was you know kind of the the aviation story about it and things like that. We really talked about you know how there's permitting and things like that, and, and having to deal with you know different aircraft and maintenance issues and things like that. And and the thing I liked about this is that yeah, the, most of the episode takes place on an airplane, but you get into what happens when you get off the airplane or before you get on the airplane, and those are the parts I was like. Yeah, no one really thinks about that. And you're like, that's actually a really big part of the job because that's where all of the other people come into play. Right, right, exactly. And I apologize for my dog who is barking in the background. Yeah, the dog agrees with me. She she does, she does agree with you. You know, I, I think that I could do plenty of footage, airplane footage video, and I could talk and get technical. And I'm happy to do that sometime. And I try to do, you know, I do try to interlace that into into the videos because, you know, 90% of the people that that are into this and following me on Twitter and on social media are are aviation people. And and I'm happy to go deep down into rabbit holes about technical aviation stuff. But I, I really did want to create something that was interesting to a, to a wider base, a wider audience. And I think travel really appeals to everybody. And I think that's what makes what I do unique is is the places that that I get to go and experiencing these places with these characters that I that I experience them with. I mean, you know, there's really no normal ferry pilots. I mean, there we're a bunch of we're we are a bunch of, of of insane people, and that that's kind of part of it. So, I mean, yeah, I, I all in all, I thought it's going to have some good airplane footage. You know, one thing that's kind of cool is you know I don't have a I don't work for anybody. I don't have a boss. I mean, I you know my customers are my boss, but. You know, I get their permission before I put anything on social media or on video. And other than that, I mean, you know, if I were back at the airlines like I used to be, you know, I'd love to do something like this, but you find you'll get in trouble eventually, right? Someone will call you out and you'll get called into the, you know, chief pilot's office and end up doing a carpet dance. I mean, pretty much do. I mean, of course, obviously I take all of the, you know, the flying is paramount. I mean, I'm not placing cameras in my line of sight, you know, to the instruments on an approach, but you know, I've I've kind of figured out and learned how to keep the cameras unobtrusive, and and still be able to tell a story. And that's where the narration comes in, right? Like that was kind of one of the dilemmas was how am I going to put all this stuff out there? I mean, I can't be talking. I'm certainly not an actor. <laughs> the weakest part of my videos, I if I were to say so myself, are are the parts where I'm actually talking because I, I forget what I'm saying. I mean, I'm definitely not a made for TV guy. <laughs> But if I have some time to sit there and, and write out the narration and kind of kind of give the story of the trip, it allows me to do that and then use a lot of video with no sound. And so the cameras just kind of blend into the environment when I'm when I'm out on the airplane, whether we're flying or troubleshooting something in the avionics bay or in a hotel dealing with quarantine or something like that. A lot of our footage is is without sound. And then I had to cover up that blankness and I do that with narration and I do that with really good music. So 
that's kind of the concept, you know? Yeah. I, I was going to mention that that one of the things that I really like about it is is a lot of the aviation videos that you watch, you have to contend with people that have not covered up the sound of an airplane. Yeah. Which if you're listening to it from the outside and, and that's what you're going, like watching something take off or land and you want to hear the engine noise and things like that. But it, I love airplanes. I hate sitting inside them and hearing that, that droning. I mean, that's the worst thing in the world to me. When someone's filming inside of an airplane and you just hear, like, I don't, I don't want to hear that. It's, it's really, it's really been a challenge. Like as far as there is some dialogue that I've wanted to keep. And there is some dialogue that you'll find in, in these videos that take place on the airplane and they take place both in the cockpit or, you know, walking through the cabin of a freighter, which is super loud. And it's been a challenge and I've, and I'm still learning, but I, I have purchased quite a bit of audio equipment. Like, so I have like wireless mics now, and I have some plugins for, for Adobe and I'm, I have a friend who's actually a sound engineer for Sony Pictures, and he's helped me with th things. I mean, he goes, you know, he said, hey, bring me along. I, I can bring all this gear and we can actually cancel out all that sound. I said, well, look, man, this is still a YouTube video that I'm making in my basement. <laughs> <Yeah>. But <laughs> Maybe episode three or four. You'll yeah. we'll get there. Yeah, eventually. But yeah, the, you know, the noise has been a challenge. But again, I mean, I I like to watch TV. I like to watch interesting things. I know what I know what I like. And so when I'm making these videos, I'm trying to keep the pace moving fast. I don't get too in the weeds with stuff. And I think, you know, the experience is palatable for the 30 minutes long, you know, so that's, I tried to make them 10 minutes, but I just can't, I just can't tell the story in 10 minutes. So they're 30 minutes long and, and, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of space to fill and I try to keep it. So it's entertaining from minute one to minute 29. I don't know how you're going to find the time because video production is really labor intensive. It takes forever to put one minute of video together. Yeah. And, and somehow you're, you're flying all over the world and still managing to find the time to do this. So it, it's very impressive. It's very good work. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what else you have in store for us. Thanks. Yeah. The, the videos take me about a week and a half each to do 30 minutes. So I'm pretty quick with them. The longest part is, is really writing writing the episode like because i have to watch like hours and hours and hours of footage to kind of say well what looks good what's what's the best footage i have from this how do i make a story out of that right so anyway yeah we about a week and a half it takes it some of them are as i'm getting better at it it's actually taking longer because i'm getting more picky you know like the fir the early episodes if i watch them now i'm like wow well, the stuff i'm doing now is way better than the stuff i did in episode one and it, and it's taking longer, but you know I think you'll all see kind of the quality improve and the content improve as as we go forward. I'm really looking forward to that. And as Jason mentioned, I mean you're flying all over the world. We're talking to you on Thursday. On Sunday you were at home. On Monday you weren't at home. Tuesday you weren't at home. Wednesday you were at home again. But you flew around the world the yeah. long way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and half of it I was actually flying. You know. <laughs> So, and the, the best part about this is when we were talking before we, you know, hit record, you said, well, I, I wasn't supposed to be doing it. And to my mind, that's the craziest part about your job. And we talked about this the first time you were on is, is that you can be at home and you're in the, the Philadelphia area, right? Yeah. Yeah. South so Jersey. You, you can be at home in, in Jersey and all of a sudden you're on your way to God knows where at who knows how many minutes notice. And that- I understand that that's part of your job, but I, that's part of the thing. I don't know if I could ever get used to that. Yeah. It's wild. It's crazy. It's a lot harder on my family, I think, than it is on me. 
now that my kids are getting older, it's getting easier to do that. But, you know, just walking away sometimes and just going off the face of the earth as far as home goes for three, four, sometimes seven days, it's tough for everybody around me. I don't know if I ever get used to it, but I don't mind it at this point. And I mean, there have plenty, there've been plenty of trips where I wake up in the morning thinking I was going to be home all day and I ended up on a plane heading to, you know, China in the middle of the night, you know, or in the middle of the day rather. So things come around fast. The way this worked out, this was a trip that's actually been on the schedule for a few weeks, but I had it crewed. But then another trip popped up, and and one of the biggest challenges in this business is constantly figuring out who I'm using, where I'm using them, where they're going next, who's got availability. And then the other major challenge is who's current and who's validated, because a lot of the a lot of the aircraft that we fly are not you know not U.S. registered, and I hold a, a U.S. ATP, and and most of my pilots do as well. You know we have IASA folks too. But like this aircraft that we flew was Chilean and I had a crew all set to go on it. And because another trip ended up delaying, I had to pull one guy off of this trip. And there was only one other pilot that had a, a Chilean valid, a valid Chilean license, a valid Chilean validation. That was me. So on, on Saturday morning, my son is a swim meet this week. My wife went away, you know, the same day I arrived, I, I was like, well, you know, I, I can make it work and get back by Wednesday. And I really had no choice. And so, uh, you know, the decision was made on Saturday night that I would travel on Sunday. And I did. And I, sh- I uh, flew down to Miami, picked up a 730, or excuse me, a 767-300ER with two other guys. We flew to Anchorage nonstop, nine hours, and then took fuel. We were on the ground about an hour and a half, and then Anchorage to Singapore, which was 13 and a half hours. Got into Singapore, quarantine hotel for 12 hours. Qatar Airways from Singapore to Doha, Doha to Philly. I think that was like 28 hours. So yeah, I mean, you know, three days later, full circle, I'm back. My back hurts and I don't know what day it is. (laughs) So do you bother even, I mean, figuring out what time it is or is it just one of those things where you've got alarms in your calendar that tell you, I need to go to the airport now and then you just go? Yeah, no, I I wish I was that organized. <laughs> I, I think I bought my tickets to Miami the morning, Sunday morning. So like it kind of all came together last minute. As far as planning, like so this was a three-man trip, a heavy crew, and I wasn't as worried about it because when you have three people, you know, two people are always feeling good and one guy's already always tired. So with three, you have a lot of flexibility and we don't really have any, you know, it's part 91. I mean, legally, two two of us could have done it. But it's crazy. I mean, I don't think that that's safe. I mean, 20 some hours with no notice. I do do some long two-man trips, but for those, you really need to kind of start thinking about what the flying schedule is going to look like and, and kind of acclimating in advance. For this one, I didn't. I mean, I you know, with three, with three people, you can always go rotate. And the way it kind of worked out, we each just kind of flew four-hour shifts and one guy went to the back and it had a full business class. This airplane is going to cargo conversion. So- it was the last, the last go for these seats, but you know, they were lie flats. So we had a nice rest area. I bet you wish you had that on every flight, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I do. A lot of times we're in hammocks, right? Yeah. Kind of crazy that I, I saw on your Twitter feed that you took a couple of these Chilean aircraft. I guess we won't say which airline it is, but I, I still can't believe that not only did they have the entire complement of seats, but the entertainment system was still there and powered yeah. on. And like, it was like this airplane could have come to JFK 
that day and operated a passenger flight and nobody would have known. Meanwhile, you're taking it out to to Singapore to be to have a hole chopped in the side for a cargo door. Exactly. And actually we can say the airline. It was LATAM, one of our bigger customers. And they're, you know, they're awesome. And a lot of them follow follow on social media. So hey, they're like my favorite people. They're awesome folks. Did there. I see that you also operated a seven eight seven on a long call flight? We did. We we just delivered the first. Now this was not me personally. Unfortunately, I do not have that rating yet. Working on it, but yeah, we delivered four uh, three so far out of four seven eight seven nines going to LATAM as well. Wow, we found the aircraft you can't fly yet. Yeah, and I can't fly the A three fifty either. <laughs> yet, yet, yeah, not yet, not yet. <laughs> so when you're looking. To plan these trips, or I guess not plan these trips, but when you're when you're being thrust into these surprise trips, I mean, I, I saw you post on Twitter. You just had a backpack. What do you bring with you? I brought, you know, not much. I didn't even bring my laptop on this one. That's how short it was. So I have a like the world's largest collection of luggage. <laughs> I have I have so much luggage. Like I collect luggage like. Others collect shoes, you know. I mean, I have a lot. I just collect shoes too, but I have a lot of luggage. And each trip, I kind of have to kind of mentally evaluate what what the trip's going to look like and and what luggage I'm going to bring in that case. And lately, I've really kind of learned to survive long trips with a backpack. And the reasoning for that is is the golf clubs. <laughs> Aha, yeah. And now I didn't bring golf clubs on this one, obviously, but. The golf clubs have have forced me to pack lighter with everything else because it's bad enough having to haul a set of golf clubs around the world. Having to do that with a roller board is forget about it. You know, I mean, you need like a third arm. <laughs> I can see there there's like maybe like a three or four person market for some sort of golf club, cart, <laughs> suitcase, ferry yeah. pilot setup. Yeah, the golf clubs is kind of a new thing, you know. That's actually how all this, that's how like cockpit casual started, right? So Ava is a really good golfer and like really, really good. Like he, he's got like a handicap. He says it's four, but I mean, I've seen him shoot like, you know, plus two, plus three. He's good. And I'm not good at all, but I really like it. And Ava and I go back a long time. We flew together at the 121 airlines. I mean, he's just a, just like the nicest, like just nicest dude ever. He's awesome. He's a really close friend. And he said to me one day, he goes, we should start playing golf on the road. You know, you're going to all these places that, that have great golf. Why don't we just bring our golf? I'm like, yeah, yeah, but carrying golf club. He's like, trust me, man, it, we, let's do it. So we experimented with it and we, we brought the clubs a couple times. And while we were on the first one, he goes, we should start videotaping this because there's a huge crowd of people that are interested in golf on social media. And like we're playing places that, that people never get to see, right? Like people that are into golf never get to golf. Like we played in Brazil. I mean, we played in Turkey. We've played in Cyprus and we played in Iceland. Recently, we played in Iceland. As a matter of fact, that's on, that's on a video coming up. That's, I think, maybe episode three. And we played Iceland at midnight. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm so like cool. you. I'm like you, where where I'm not good at all. Yeah, but I enjoy. I've enjoyed the things that you've posted so far, because the I think it was the course in Cyprus that had the canyon between the tee box and the fairway, and I was like, who designed this course? Like some crazy person. Yeah, there's 
it just looked amazing because of just the geography built into the course. And I'm not a huge fan. Like I don't watch golf because that's a whole nother thing. So if you do watch golf, feel free to email us at podcast.fr24.com and explain why because I've never understood it. Ava but, watches golf and he tried to get, I mean, I don't watch golf, but it's, it's tough. It's like, watching yeah, yeah, I mean like maybe the final round or something, the people watching on Thursday, those are the people I want to email us and try and explain, but doing these things. I mean, I, I think that's why the, like the first episode that you've put up on YouTube already. And then like the future episodes, what I'm looking forward to is kind of filtering all of this in going, you know, it's, it's not just flying, but we get to do all of these really cool things because of this weird, weird niche of aviation that we've were a part of. Right. And it's not just golf. So it's the the golf itself is fun. I love the golf. I mean, I get frustrated as hell with the golf, but <laughs> you know, but let's be honest. But the thing about golf actually that's that's really interesting about it is it's not so much just about the golf. The golf serves as a vessel for experiences that we wouldn't otherwise have on these trips, right? So like on a normal trip, I mean, and I've been doing these trips since like like 2005. So I didn't start carrying golf clubs till last year. So the normal trip, you know, you go out in town. I mean, I've, I've you know, I've seen the tourist attractions in different places and I've, you know, I've gone out kind of to the outskirts and I've done, you know, I got to shoot some weapons over in the Southeast Asia. I mean, you know, you find weird people and you end up doing interesting stuff on the road, but like golf really takes you off the normal track. Like, first of all, you have to get to the courses and negotiate your way onto, onto the course in a place where nobody speaks English in a lot of the, in a lot of cases, right? Like Brazil was incredibly challenging. Then we're in some other part of town that there are no hotels, the airport's nowhere nearby, and we're interacting with people that we wouldn't normally interact with on a normal trip. So golf really serves different purposes. We rented a car in Cyprus. We drove to the other side of the island because of golf. And in that process, we, you know, we got to see Limassol. We walked around the docks. We had a really awesome meal. You know, I drove from the right side, which is always scary. <laughs> I don't even do that with airplanes. <laughs> <laughs> Humble brag, uh, a humble brag. We'll, we'll allow it. <laughs> Nobody does it. Jet test, you know. We, uh, if you're flying the air, if it's your leg, you fly from whatever seat you want. And nobody picks the right. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm really looking forward to what's coming up. The first episode is great. It's out now, so go after you've listened to the podcast. If you haven't already watched it, go and watch it. Uh, and then subscribe to to Steve's YouTube channel, which is Speed Tape Films. And then, as they say, ring the notification bell so that you know when new videos are coming. And we'll also have a, a link in the show notes to all of this, and you can see it through there if that's how you want to do it as well. If you don't want to type in the URL, you don't have to. You can just go straight from the show notes here. Steve Giordano is from Jet Test and Transport. He is all over the place. And I'm sure he will have racked up probably another million miles by the next time he's back on the show, but we'll definitely have him back again. Steve, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. Thanks, Jason. Welcome back. And that was a lot of fun. 
as as having Steve on the show always is, and I'm really excited to have him back after a, a few more episodes to to hear more about a lot of things that he's been up to, including a story he he told us that we couldn't record just yet. So one day we will have him on the show to talk about that and asparagus because we just couldn't work yeah, that in yeah, we forgot to, about our, that part. to our conversation there. But before we go, Jason and I want to, to bring up a pilot who by his own admission will no longer be a pilot after what happened to him a little ways ago. A gentleman named Dennis Collier from Michigan flew to California to pick up a sea wind that he had purchased and amazingly lived to tell the tale of crashing seven times in seven days in four different states. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. By the way, if you've never seen what a Seawind 3000 looks like, I, I recommend highly you go to Google Image Search right now and punch that in and see what it looks like because it's a weird looking aircraft. But that aside, the final crash is the end of the saga because it is the aircraft is currently at the bottom of one of the Great Lakes, I believe. Yes. Yeah. In, it's in Lake Michigan, just up the... Uh... Just ah, the greatest of lakes. The, the greatest of Great Lakes, indeed. And there it will probably stay because I don't think anyone either has the inclination or the money to get it out of the water. But talking about this, we really can't do it just there there's a great a great write-up in the Record Eagle about this gentleman and his ill-fated adventure. Anytime that you have to talk to FAA investigators multiple times in the same week for different crashes, probably not a great week. Uh, yeah. So so the gentleman, the punchline or the kicker, I guess, of the story is that he's decided to, to hang up his headset for good, which given the story is probably for the best. The link is in the show notes. You should read the entire article. It is fascinating and bizarre and horrifying what happened. I, I'm glad that the gentleman is okay. I'm also glad that that I will never have never had the chance to fly with him because I I definitely do not want to do so. I mean, I think the airplane may have been cursed. The airplane, him, some I don't know what's going on, but I'm staying as far away from that as I can. Lake Michigan might be cursed now. I don't know. Well, there there's a bunch of planes at the bottom of Lake Michigan, so you know, what are you going to do? What's what's another one? I guess I I don't yeah, know I, okay. at this point, but yeah. Anyway, uh, so stay away. From, stay away uh, from on me. that note. That's uh, episode that one hundred and twenty-three. There it is. Yes, indeed, episode one hundred and twenty-three of Av Talk. I am Ian Pechnik here, as always, with Jason Rabinowitz. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.